Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? It is really good to see you today. Happy New Year. We can say that. We're a couple hours early, right? We can say Happy New Year. Uh, I am thrilled that we're going to get to worship together as we bring in a brand new year. Grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, in addition to some other places in the Word, Ephesians 4, verse 11, uh, as we round out 2023 and begin to head into 2024. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 is where we'll begin in just a moment. While you are turning there, I would like to take a moment to celebrate a habit that virtually all of us participate in. Uh, it's a habit that many of you have already performed today, even though you probably have already forgotten about it. It is so ubiquitous in our life that we don't even notice that we're doing it anymore. And that habit is this. For almost every single one of you here in this room today, sometime before you got here, you looked into a mirror. You did. You checked yourself out in the mirror, and on behalf of the rest of us, we are grateful that you did. <laughs> you look better because you did that. But think about it. I, did you, do you really even remember doing it? I, I looked in a mirror today, but I, I do it every day. You walk into your bathroom, and there's a mirror in there, and you don't even think about it. It's just something that happens in your life. But you'd notice it if it wasn't there. You ever been to a bathroom that doesn't have a mirror? Seriously, I have. It is weird. It is weird. If you go in a bathroom, I'm like, there's no mirror. Like, what am I supposed to do? It's, it's weird because before you leave that bathroom, you want to do something. You want to check yourself out. This morning, before you got, right after you got up, you didn't just roll out of bed, get into a car, and come here. No, you rolled into your bathroom, and you checked yourself out. And there's a good reason you did that. Your hair might have been doing something crazy. You might have had something in your teeth. You might have looked rough, Right? And so you need that mirror to kind of double check yourself and say, hey, before I go into the world, I want to get everything in place, right? Do I look how I want to look before I go out into the world? And that mirror is helpful because it does one very important thing. It's the only thing a mirror does. It shows you a reflection. It's just going to give you a reflection of, of your current state. That's what a mirror does. It doesn't talk. It doesn't accomplish anything. It just shows you what is already there. But when you look into that mirror and you get that reflection, you now have a good idea. You can make changes and go, okay, now I want to head into my day. And that's a very helpful practice for all of us as we're getting ready to be social creatures. But that's something that we need to do spiritually as well as physically. And this morning, I would like for us to look into a spiritual mirror and check our reflection. I want us to look at our life and say, okay, where have we been? And before we jump into a brand new year and run into a bunch of new opportunities, I want to make sure that we don't leave behind all the things that the Lord has given us. Before we jump into resolutions and new things and new months and, and just kind of a blank slate of a year, I mean, let's make sure we, we, we take a reflection and go, okay, what has the Lord done over the course of this year that I want to make sure not to leave? I want to bring these things with me. These are a part of me now. These are helpful as we move into a brand new year. So we're going to do that in a few ways this morning. We're one, we're just going to kind of look at it for us as a congregation where we are. And then we're actually going to review a little bit of a lot of the things that the Lord has taught us as a congregation. But this is something I hope you'll do individually as well. 
Uh, Allison and I spent a lot of time yesterday just kind of sitting and kind of reviewing our years. We do this every year where we write things down. We look at the year prior and then we write down kind of a, a record of this year because it helps us in looking forward to the next year. And I hope that you'll do something like that personally so you can think about and see what God has done. But this morning we need to do that as a people together. So before we even jump into Ephesians chapter 4, let me note a few different things that we've seen as, as changes in our congregation or notable things that have happened in our congregation. First off, we are growing as a congregation. Uh, you can see that just by looking around. You might feel a little bit more cramped. We've taken some of your leg room this year. We did. All right. It is a little bit more cramped because we're growing and that's exciting. Uh, I get this question a lot from different people. They say, well, Adam, how many members does your church have? And my answer is always the same. I don't know. I have no idea. I really don't. I never have. Like I can give you the number that our database will spit out. I just have zero confidence that it's accurate, right? Because we've just seen a ton of change in the last three to four years. COVID changed everything. So a lot of our folks have left and gone to different places. Even more have come and joined us. We're actually larger now than we were pre-pandemic, but it's a different configuration of people. So I actually don't know the exact number. I can tell you that we're, uh, we average just a little shy of 800 people every week in worship between our two services here at Mount Laurel. All right, so that's kind of the attendance number. Uh, but here's what I can tell you. Over the past year, 52 family units joined our congregation here at Mount Laurel. That comprises about 141 different people who said, not only do I want to attend, let's say I'm locked in. The Lord is calling me here and we are joining as members. This is now our church. And if you look at our average attendance from a year ago to today, you'll see it's about 140 people different. That is a huge increase in one year for one congregation of our size. And that's exciting because it means that people are sensing what God is doing here. Many of you are a part of that 141 who said, man, I was an attender at the beginning of the year and I'm a member now. Man, I'm so excited that we have all of you here to help us move forward together. Some of you need to be in that number next year and say, hey, I'm an attender now and I need to be joining by the end of this next year. I want to be a part of what God is doing. But we're clearly seeing God grow us as a congregation. Uh, secondly, we had a milestone this past year in that we paid off all of our debt here at the Mount Laurel campus. Uh, that is very exciting. We were very excited about it. Uh, if you were here back in the spring, this is uh, something 16 years in the making. Uh, we paid off all of these buildings here at the Mount Laurel campus. We were very excited about that. We had some amazing gifts that made that happen. Uh, but it is incredible to watch uh, just what God has freed up during that time. Uh, and the new things that we were able to do. Uh, but it is a joyous thing to say, hey, right now we are debt-free right here on this campus. It's a testimony to what God has been providing over the years. Uh, thirdly, uh, we've had some changes at our Chelsea campus. Uh, some of you may know this, some of you may not, but we have a second campus down in the Chelsea area. It's right at the front of Chelsea Park. It actually celebrated its five-year anniversary this past year. Uh, but you also may know that this past year was very challenging for our Chelsea campus. Uh, we had a lot of things emerge that we weren't really anticipating. Uh, leadership challenges. We had some elders who left. We had a lot of people who left. Uh, and it was just not the year that they or we were anticipating. And some of you actually might have been at the Chelsea campus before returning over here. Uh, and, and that has caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. But uh, we have good news here at the end of the year. Uh, we're starting to see signs of growth once again. 
Uh, we've got some new staff in place down there. Uh, we're seeing new people show up and we're finally seeing new growth. We've continued to see baptisms, salvations, people joining the church. But we're finally seeing those numbers creep up. Uh, and so I hope that you'll join with me in this year continuing to pray for our Chelsea campus. Our intent and goal is they ultimately would be independent, uh, but we're not going to push them in that direction until they can safely do so. Uh, but that is our prayer. So I hope that you'll join with us as we continue to support them, help them, encourage them as they continue to minister in the Chelsea area. Uh, but then fourthly, we learned a lot. As a congregation, we learned a lot over the course of this past year. God taught us as a people some very specific things. And if he's doing that, that means that we needed them at this time. This people needed these lessons at this time for things that are coming in our particular future. And so I want to take a moment to really go back through all the things that the Lord has taught us this year. And it might be a refresher for some of you. If you were not here, it might be an encouragement to actually go back and listen to some of these sermons and get on the page with where we have been. It might be an encouragement to, to go back and be refreshed for some things that the Lord taught you. But if you go all the way back to January, we took a few weeks just to talk about our core values. And we gave ourselves three statements uh, that were these, that we are a biblical community, we are a loving community, and we're a serving community. This is who we are as a people in Jesus Christ. This is who he is calling us to be. And these correspond, by the way, to our three core values of maturity, community, and charity. How do we flesh those out? Well, by being a biblical community, a loving community, and a serving community. This is what God is doing in us. This is who he is making us to be. And spoiler alert, we're going to take the first three weeks of next year to talk about the same thing. Because uh, it's important for us to constantly go back to our core. Who are we supposed to be? What are we trying to do here as a congregation? Well, this is who we are. And, and we get this from a core passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And so hopefully this is a, a well-worn passage for you. But look what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may, we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you see our core values in there? All mashed up together, you see these three things that we want to be biblical. We are growing up in our spiritual maturity by knowing the Lord. And that creates a, a body, a loving community. When we gather here as people, we are not simply a crowd. Uh, we're not even supposed to be just a group of people who like one another or just a group of good people. No, God is knitting us together to be a spiritual family, brothers and sisters together that exhibit the love of Christ. We are Christ connected. But that purpose is this, is that we would shower each other and the world around us in 
love, the same love that God gives to us, we pour out on those in the congregation and in the community at large. We are a serving community. We take these gifts and we send them outward into the community. This is who God is making us to be. And like we said, I'm so glad that so many of you guys have joined into what God is doing and I cannot wait to see who else the Lord brings with us as we pursue being the kind of people that God wants us to be. And look, if you want to be a part of that, we've got something special for you coming up this year. It'll be a great goal for you. It's called On Ramp. Uh, this is something we did earlier this year, but if you're here and say, Adam, I, I show up, I've been attending, but uh, maybe I'm a member, maybe I'm not, but I'm not a part of any community group. I don't really know anybody. Hey, on-ramp is a great thing for you. It's a, it's a six-week class that really is filled with people just like you, folks who are not already connected. You're gonna learn some more about who we are. You're gonna hear from some of our community group leaders. And then by the end of that six weeks, man, you got a, a place to go. You can pick some of these groups. You got people to go with now. But this is a great place to start. And I hope that you'll put this on your calendar. January 14th, starting at, uh, at 9 a.m., it'll meet over in the library for six weeks. We'd love for you to be a part to help kickstart you really being a part of the community that God is building here at Double Oak Community Church. But right after that, we jumped into a different series called Repent, Abide, Obey, Enjoy. And this is a four-step process that the Lord taught us out of John chapter 15. John 15 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I go to it again and again. I constantly find myself returning to it. But in this passage, the Lord draws us in and he says, listen, this is an inline pathway, a four-step pathway where we repent, but that leads to an abiding relationship with the Lord that helps us to obey. And then that leads to the goal of enjoying him. And that's really the goal he is pushing all of us towards. And so let's look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, this is what Jesus says to us. And see if you can pick out these steps in the middle of these verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What an incredible promise from the Lord that his goal for us is not simply obedience. His goal for us is joy. He wants us to enjoy him. But if you, want to, you and I want to see that kind of spiritual fruit in our life, it starts way back over here. You remember this? We kind of built this on the stage, but if you want to get to joy, you've got to start in repenting. 
Repenting starts way over here. We're not even in the process yet. We have to start with repentance. We can't do this on our own. It starts with a recognition that we are sinful, that we're broken, that we're messed up and we can't fix ourselves. God's call for us is not to fix ourselves. He says, no, I just need you to repent, acknowledge your sin and turn away from it. And so let me ask you a question as we enter into 24. Are there any sinful habits or patterns in your life you need to leave behind in 2023? Are there any places in your life you've just been giving yourself a pass? You know it's sin. It might be the way you talk, the way you consume, uh, the way you act, the way you spend, uh, the way you live, whatever it might be. Is there something in your life you absolutely know it's sin and you've just been giving yourself a pass? Because that stuff needs to leave. It needs to stay here. And the way that happens is by repenting. By simply saying, God, I am sorry, but I can't fix it. I need forgiveness and I need cleansing. And when you and I repent, then we get to move on to the first step of abiding. We get to abide in him. Now, please note, he didn't say to repent and then obey. That's where I think most of us like to go. We say, okay, I'm going to stop doing the bad thing and I'm going to start doing the good thing. I'm going to stop doing the the wrong thing and I'm going to start doing the right thing. I want to jump from repent to obey, but that doesn't work. In fact, it'll never work. That's your New Year's resolutions. That's that's you just trying to do things on your willpower and it's going to fail just like your soon-to-be-renewed gym membership. It's not going to work. It didn't work last year. It's not going to work again. Why? Because it's built on willpower. And that ultimately tails off around January 22nd. That's about when it goes, right? And so he doesn't say that. He says, no, repent and then abide. Live in me. Grow in me. Let me change you. Let me help you. Let the Lord by his spirit cleanse you. Grow in him. Know him. This is how you grow. You repent and then you You live in Christ. You dwell in him. That's what produces change. Which, by the way, is why we're going to challenge the entire church this year to read the entire New Testament. We mentioned it earlier. It starts tomorrow, day one. We're going to read the entire New Testament. It's super easy. Five chapters a week. One chapter a day. Five days a week. Super easy. We'll cover the entire New Testament. Why? Well, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We want the word of God to dwell in us richly this year. So that's one of the ways we're going to abide is we're going to read the word together. But you do this through prayer. You do this through just getting to know the Lord. We repent, we abide. That leads to obedience. You see, God doesn't expect you to do this by yourself. He says, no, let me help you. Let me empower you. Let me strengthen you so that you actually can obey. Obedience is hard and nobody does it perfectly. But God says, with my power, you can. And so let me help you obey. That's so much easier. And then when we obey, guess what? That leads to joy. What an amazing gift of God. That this is the spiritual fruit. It's not just seeing people saved or good things happening or or having a bunch of spiritual deeds done. He says, no, the fruit of my spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what begins to emerge in our lives when we repent, abide, obey. It leads to joy. We enjoy him. I hope that you are on this path. And how can you move one step forward in that this year? Uh, After this, though, we went into a long series called The Secret of Marriage. 
And this series actually ended up being a lot longer than I had originally planned for it to be. There was a lot for us to cover. And the majority of us in this room are married or will be married or have been married at some point in your life. And so we needed to talk about this secret of marriage. Now you might say, Adam, I wasn't here for that. What's the secret? Well, we didn't hide this. We said it from week one. Here's the secret of marriage. Marriage is about the gospel. And the gospel can help you understand your marriage. Let me say that again. Marriage is about the gospel. And the gospel can help you understand your marriage. You see, marriage is not something you and I invented. It's not a creation of the state. God invented it. He created us in a certain way, male and female, And then he brings us together in marriage. But he says, I have a design for that and a reason. And it's not just for companionship or or the the creation and nurturing of of kids. He says, no, I want to teach you something about me, about having a life with me. There's this picture between Christ and the church and a man and a woman in a marriage. Marriage is more than just about two people in a married relationship. But when you understand that gospel, guess what? That actually helps you know how to live in a marriage. When you look to the Lord and how he loves us and how he sacrifices for us and how we we find our life in him first and then in somebody else, well, it actually shows us how to live within our marriage. And so that's the secret. And look, we found this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And we looked at a ton of these passages, but, but let's read it here together. This is Ephesians 5, verse 21. It says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. You seen the link already? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you see the link there? Marriage just isn't about us. Look, if you make marriage all about you, if marriage in your mind is simply about making you happy, you are toast. This is going to fail miserably for you because marriage a lot of times is hard. It it takes work. It's not always going to make you happy. And if that's your criterion, you are going to fail miserably. Even if you make it all about your spouse. Oh, this is the one. They complete me. They're the everything in my life. That's going to fail too. Why? Because there's not a person on the planet who can complete you. There's not a person on the planet who can truly save you. Save Jesus Christ, the God who made us. And so look, when we look at our marriages, we have to look at it through the lens of the gospel. God has given you this amazing gift in your wife or your husband to really help you understand more about him 
And then to learn how to love your wife or husband. You've got this, this laboratory in which to grow in sanctification. It's this amazing gift that God has given. So if you're married here in the room, what did you learn about marriage this year? Instead of looking at it from your own perspective or society's perspective or the state's perspective, what did you learn about God's perspective on marriage? And have you begun to see it his way instead of just our way? How have you learned to relate to your spouse differently knowing the secret of marriage? If you're single in the room, what'd you learn about marriage? You might be preparing for marriage or looking to be married at some point in your life. Well, then what did you learn? Who are you looking for in a spouse? Who are you looking for to live the rest of your life with? And do they see marriage the same way that you do? It's important. You can't just wait to fall in love with somebody, man. You gotta say, hey, I wanna have a marriage the way God has designed it and intended it. That's the pathway to joy. What did you learn about marriage? And then what did we as a, as a church learn about marriage? If marriage is something that God created, then guess what? We don't get to redefine it. That, that is not up to you or me or anybody to redefine it. It is God's creation and we defend it as such. That he made us male and female and he brings us together. One man, one woman for one lifetime. This is what God intends in a marriage. Okay, do we defend that? Do we defend that amongst our friends? Do we defend that in this room and amongst our community? Do we defend that in the world to say, hey, listen, this is what God has created and this is the pathway to joy. What have we learned about the secret of marriage this year? Because when you learn it, it does lead to incredible joy. But after that, we found ourselves in the midst of the summer, moving on to do a short series about Proverbs called The Way of Wisdom. Every summer we do an Old Testament series, and this is the one for this year. And I gotta be honest, uh, I was not excited about this sermon series when the Lord put it on the docket early on in the year. Uh, I had never done a sermon series on Proverbs. I had never really studied through it. And quite honestly, I didn't know how to preach it. Uh, now that we've all read it, you might understand why. It's kind of chaotic. It's all over the map. It keeps bouncing from all these different topics. And I'm like, how am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to preach that in a coherent manner? But the more I studied it and I really got into it this year, man, the more excited I got. And I honestly wish we had had even more weeks to walk through Proverbs. It was amazing. But we learned some very important things. Uh, in fact, look what it says at the very beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. Listen to what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. And righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs is a book of wisdom literature. And wisdom, we found out, was practical understanding for navigating life. That's what Proverbs gives us. Practical understanding for navigating life. But there were two guiding principles we learned over the course of this series that were really important. Number one was this, the Proverbs were not promises. This is different than other parts of Scripture. Other parts of Scripture are just 100%. This is the truth. This is the way it is 100% of the time. And you can bank on it. The Proverbs aren't exactly like that. Because these are not promises. This is wisdom. These are how things generally are. 
And this is why we saw all those different layers and the different things that Proverbs said about different topics and sometimes the same topic. You needed multiple Proverbs to really have a good understanding of the multiple ways this might flesh out in your life. These are general truths about life. It's practical understanding for navigating life. But the second thing we learned that was really important is this, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom in your life, there's only so much you can gain from the secular world. There's all kinds of things that are good in the world. There are truths to be had. But if you try to attack the world as if God doesn't exist, you will ultimately destroy yourself. Because God does exist. You are more than just the sum of your parts. And so if you want to grow in true wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear, we learned, was not a, a slavish fear, a terrifying fear. This is a respect, an awe, a reverence but also a recognition that God loves us and cares for us. And that ought to produce joy and love in response. That's the fear of the Lord. We live as if God exists because he does. That's where true wisdom is found. And so what did you learn through the book of Proverbs this year? Remember, many of us, we, we journaled through it. We read through it a, 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 a proverb a day for the, the month of July. You might want to go through there again. Just last week, I was, I was running through my house and, and God brought a proverb to mind. Something I learned this summer. He brought right back to memory and went, oh, there's that wisdom. Again, I need to not forget that. What wisdom did he teach you this year? What wisdom does he want to teach you through this book? It's always there for us, this way of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. But as we got into the fall and into August and September, we started a series called Treasure. And we asked ourselves a question that Jesus has been asking since the Sermon on the Mount, and it's simply this. Where is your treasure? What's your treasure? Because we all have one. But the question for us is, are we searching after heavenly treasures or earthly treasures? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy or generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, we learn that word means stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For you either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And so we asked ourselves this question, what's our treasure? What is it that you value above all, that you're seeking after? Is it your bank account, or is it something that your bank account gives you? Whether it be comfort, or, or accolades, or, 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 or reputation, or power, or whatever it might be. What is your treasure? Because whatever that treasure is, that's going to dictate where your money actually goes. Because we're all going to have to deal with money. All of us encounter money. We use money. We're going to be given a certain amount of money in this life. And that's going to be directed by what our treasure is. And so do we have earthly treasures that are bound to rot or be stolen or be lost or ultimately to be burned? Or are you and I investing in heavenly treasures? Treasures that you cannot lose. Treasures that do not go away, that cannot be stolen from you, that are going to be here from now until eternity what treasures are you and I actually building up? 
Now, what was cool is that we actually saw an object lesson of this during the series because over the month of September, we did our Give United campaign. And I challenged you guys. I said, hey, I want everybody in the room. Let's all give the full tithe for one month and see what happens. Everybody give a full 10% tithe of what you make and see what happens. And it was astounding. You guys in one month not only met our budget needs, you more than doubled our budget needs. $260,000 you guys brought in in one month. And we just took all of that and showered every penny out on local ministries and charities in our area. It was astounding. It was incredible. And the good news is after that month ended, some of you continued to give faithfully, which was kind of what we were hoping for. But can I ask you a question? If you're doing that, because some of you are, some of you are giving more faithfully now. You're giving more now than you've ever given in your entire life. Since September, you're giving more than you have in maybe your whole life. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing? Like seriously, think about it, because I bet for many of you, what you're, you'll find out is, is that even though you're giving more than you ever have, you're not feeling the lack. More than that, if you look around at your life, you might find that you're amply supplied. That you're being taken care of and somehow at times even more so. Remember I told you that we paid off our debt earlier this year? Over the course of this past year, we, we spent like $800,000 and more to pay off our debt early. Close to $900,000. God's already put that back in our cash balance over the course of this year. After doing that in March, he's already put that back. I mean, when we're faithful to give, the Lord just decides, hey, I want, I want to give you even more. If you've been faithful in a little, you can be faithful in more. I wonder how many of you have been giving greater than you ever have and you're finding more joy and more faithfulness and more provision than you've ever experienced. You see, that's what happens when we walk in faithfulness and we make the Lord our treasure. I pray that we'll all continue in that faithfulness. But after that, and we got, as we got into October and November, we did a different kind of series called Walking Through the Valley. And look, this was not our most fun series by far, but it was probably one of the most important because it touches on a circumstance that all of us are dealing with or will deal with in our life and that all of us are going to walk through pain and suffering. Jesus Christ never promised us a pain-free existence. In fact, he promised us the opposite. He promised us that in this world we would have trouble. Christians, just like non-Christians, deal with pain, suffering, sickness, evil, and death. It affects all of us. And we've been going through a lot this year. And so what do we do with that? Well, we found that Jesus actually walks with us through the valley. It's the same thing that David found out in Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. In that famous shepherd psalm, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What we found out is that in the midst of our grief, the Lord is with us. He's not with us just on the mountaintops. He's with us in the valley too. He's with us on our good days and on our bad days, when it feels good and even when it doesn't. And even when we can't feel him, he's still there in the midst of it. He walks with us through our grief, the waves of grief that come and go, the initial wave when we have a loss, but then also the following waves of grief in the months and even years in the future. He rides all those waves with us. And just as the Lord comforts us in our grief, he teaches us to comfort others in their grief. That's one of the things that we get to do as a congregation is that when we mourn, we have people to mourn with, other, with us. And when others mourn, we get to mourn with them. 
And look, we've had a lot of reason to do that. Just this past week, two folks in our church uh, lost a parent uh, this week. Almost every week, there's some sort of loss for somebody in our congregation. We've been walking with each other through that. Not only that, we as a congregation have suffered through losses. I don't want to let the year end without reminding us of some of our brothers and sisters who've gone on to be with the Lord just this past year. People that we love, but that we don't get to fellowship with weekly like we used to. People like Cecil Haddock, and Dave Barnes, and Mary Thompson, and Debbie Bell, and Olympia Martin, and Gene Hopper. These are brothers and sisters from right here in our congregation who've gone on to be with the Lord. And we will see them again. We will worship with them again. But in the meantime, there is grief and loss. But praise be to God. He is not simply waiting at the end of our journey. He sits with us now and carries us through. He helps us with our grief and gives us hope that overcomes our grief. He teaches us how to walk through the valley of pain and suffering. Until finally, over the last four weeks, we have been going through our Advent series called A Weary World Rejoices. And after we talked about pain, we also talked about the joy that the coming of Jesus brings. And he does bring joy into a dark world, into a weary world. The coming of Jesus Christ brings joy. We talked about the joy of him being the Emmanuel, the joy of him being a light in the darkness, the the joy of him being miraculous and having the power to actually transform us. And yes, the power to forgive and to save us. And that can only begin when Jesus Christ comes in the flesh as one of us. His coming should bring joy. And that is important to us, especially on today, because either sometime today or tomorrow and then the next week, and certainly by the end of next week, you got to take your decorations down. Don't wait till after that. It gets weird, all right? (laughs) But look, this is the last Sunday you're going to see this until December again. All this has got to come down. But when you put all the decorations in the box, your joy doesn't have to go with it. Your hope doesn't have to go with it. Because Jesus Christ is here. He's not going anywhere. And he has a brand new year to walk us into. Let's not leave the joy behind, regardless of whatever has happened in 23, the ups and certainly the downs. Man, let's take what God has given us in 23 and say, Father, walk us into 24 and help us to retain the joy, the life that you made us for. So what did he teach you? As you begin to walk into this year in the waning hours of 2023, what did he teach you? And what are you going to hang on to as you walk into 2024? So just for me, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just ask that question. What did he teach you? What has he done in your heart and life or the over the last year. It is easy for the pains to overshadow the gains. It is easy for all the hurt to overshadow the joys, the new growth, the new areas where even if it was painful, God brought conviction or challenge, but then help and change and encouragement and new growth. These are the things that God intends for us. So what are you taking into next year? 
And how can we keep our hearts and minds open for what he's about to teach us in the next 12 months and the next coming days? I wonder as we end this season and we enter a new one, if we can just make room for him to keep our eyes on him and to make room and say, God, I want to decrease and I want you to increase this coming year. You've walked with me, you've helped me, but God, in this coming year, God, I want to be less. I want you to be more. Jesus, I choose you because where you are is where joy is. Where you are is where life is. And so as we march into a brand new year, let's walk in with him. So Father, help us, speak to us, guide us. We have absolutely no idea what 2024 is going to bring. I imagine it'll surprise all of us. But in the midst of that, Lord, you'll be there because you already are. And you've been preparing us for it, even though we don't know what it is. So would you show us how to hang on to all of these lessons, all of these truths, these, these new, this new growth you've brought in us. And you would you help us to stay open as we walk into this next coming year. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray.